Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Ackeson here. Welcome to another edition of Full Measure After Hours. Today, you'll hear some outrageous cases of COVID-19 relief fraud. What are the schemes and scams and who's stealing millions of your tax dollars? I'm going to start today's podcast by reading from a press release that was just put out by the Department of Justice, a U.S. attorney's office in Texas. It's headlined, Liberian National Pleads Guilty to $23 Million in COVID-19 Relief Fraud. According to the press release, it says a Liberian national who orchestrated a fraudulent scheme to secure more than $23 million in forgivable paycheck protection program loans. Forgivable loans, by the way, means these people generally do not have to pay back the money. It's basically free cash. Anyway, this Liberian national pleaded guilty to a federal financial crime. His name is Stephen Jalal, a 43-year-old tax consultant from the Dallas area. The press release says he was first charged in September 2020. He's now pleaded guilty. According to plea papers, reading from the press release, Mr. Jalul admitted he defrauded lenders participating in the Paycheck Protection Program, a measure authorized by Congress in the early days of the pandemic to award forgivable loans to small businesses impacted by COVID-19, actually by the shutdowns. And it says he was participating in this fraud while awaiting sentencing in a separate tax fraud case. In court documents says the news release, he admitted that he submitted roughly 170 falsified PPP loan applications to lenders, including through a fintech company, seeking more than $23 million on behalf of over 160 clients of his tax preparation business, which was called Royalty Tax and Financial Services, LLC. Mr. Jalal admitted he inflated clients' employee rosters and monthly payroll expenses in order to increase the amount of funds for which their businesses would be eligible. He generally charged the clients a 2 to 20% commission on the PPP loans they received and even listed his ex-wife as royalty taxes authorized representative without her consent when seeking an inflated PPP loan for his own business. In all, 97 false PPP loan applications were ultimately approved And Mr. Jalal's clients were awarded more than $12 million in PPP money. Those clients paid him at least $972,000 plus in fees. Mr. Jalal now faces up to 10 years in federal prison. His sentencing date has not yet been set. He is already behind bars, having pleaded guilty to tax fraud in a separate case in January 2020, where he was sentenced to six years in federal prison. How's that for audacity? And going through the cases, as I was researching for a full measure, this is not terribly unusual, sort of a typical story. And when they say in the press release that this man defrauded the banks participating, well, really, he's defrauding us, you and me, taxpayers, because that's taxpayer money. 
And this is the focus of my cover story this week on Full Measure, which will appear on Sunday, October 31st, Halloween. Maybe that's fitting because the scope of this fraud is scary. Let's take a look at how much in funding was poured into the U.S. economy. That alone is pretty mind-boggling. On March 6, 2020, shortly after the pandemic broke out, we spent $8.3 billion tax dollars for vaccines and testing in the Coronavirus Preparedness and Response Supplemental Appropriations Act. That's $8.3 billion. That was followed not long after, March 18th, so less than a couple of weeks later, $225 billion more that went for COVID testing, sick leave, and food aid. That was in the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. Then not long after that, less than a couple of weeks, March 27th, $2.2 trillion, which included stimulus payments, expanded unemployment benefits, and the Paycheck Protection Program. That bill was called the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, or the CARES Act. You probably hear that more often than many of the others when referred to, the CARES Act. The following month, April 24, 2020, $483 billion more for the Paycheck Protection Program and COVID testing. This was in the Paycheck Protection Program and Healthcare Enhancement Act. And then one more before the end of the year in 2020, on December 28th, $920 billion more, which included stimulus payments, billions more for the Paycheck Protection Program, vaccines, schools, and unemployment. This was under the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021. And then this year, March 11th, $1.9 trillion, including more stimulus payments and more money for schools and vaccines in the American Rescue Plan. That adds up to about... $6 trillion to date. How that looks written out, that's, I'm going to give you all the zeros. Six, zero, 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 zero. Six trillion dollars to date, far bigger than the entire economies, the total of all goods and services produced of nearly every other nation on the planet. Well, these incredible sums of money by all accounts were rushed out the door without proper oversight in place. And there's always this discussion about How do you get the money out quickly without delaying it too much for the people who really need it? And there's an acceptance that a lot of it's going to be lost to waste, fraud, and abuse because of that. In my other podcast, the Cheryl Ackeson podcast, I talk a little bit more about how I don't think it's that sort of all-or-nothing choice. You either get it out quickly and accept a lot of fraud or you get it out too slowly. I think watchdogs who work in this arena agree that there are other choices, there are things we could do. But regardless, as you might expect, the Small Business Administration, which was administering a great deal of these programs, got flooded with applications right away. And the Small Business Administration Inspector General named Mike Ware told me, you'll hear from him on Full Measure this week, that the processors were doing what they called batch processing. They had about 17 minutes to review an individual file. Because batches of applications, he says, were coming in 200 at a time. And that, he says, was one of the schemes. When they started to track what the fraudsters were actually saying, they were deciding bombard them, throw as many applications at the wall as possible, and some of them will get through. And certainly they did. There were suspicious patterns at the outset, 
says where, such as hundreds of loan applications from the same internet address. And where says these cases merited obvious follow-up, but initially efforts for him to implement some controls, some very simple basic things were met with resistance by the leadership of the Small Business Administration. He says they would tell him, well, there could be a reason why there are so many applications coming from the same internet address. We just need to get the money out. And Mike Ware says he was telling them, yes, but there are ongoing criminal cases already. We have indictments based off of this fact pattern. And we haven't reviewed every single loan. We can't tell which ones are fraudulent and which ones aren't, but this is something they're doing. These are red flags. And he says he told folks, I need you to flag these loans, do some due diligence, and make sure the money is going to the people who are eligible to receive it. So he said that was the first hurdle, trying to convince the people who could look at and stop and do their due diligence to not just press through these applications quickly without any sort of oversight. So here are a couple of cases we're going to go over that I found. And these are not tiny cases. I mean, there are plenty of tinier cases, but these add up in some cases to millions of dollars, just like the Liberian National from the press release that I just read to you. So first of all, there is Virginia Smith, who pleaded guilty to fraudulently getting unemployment benefits for at least 22 prison inmates. According to court documents, Virginia Smith, who's 37 years old or was at the time, conspired with an inmate at Baskerville Correctional Center to collect the personally identifiable information of inmates to fraudulently apply for Virginia unemployment benefits. This happened from around June 2020 to January 2021. Smith, says a press release from Department of Justice, with the assistance of the inmate co-conspirator, submitted successful applications for Virginia unemployment benefits for at least 22 inmates at Baskerville Correctional Center, resulting in a dispersal of at least $223,984 in fraudulent benefits. Quoting from the news release on this case, quote, as part of their scheme, Smith's co-conspirator would provide her with the names, dates of birth, and social security numbers of inmates serving a sentence at Baskerville. Smith would then file unemployment claims with the Virginia Employment Commission using that information. As an aside, I know people who legitimately filed unemployment claims and didn't hear back for months and months and couldn't get answers to their questions. So how outrageous that these prison inmates apparently didn't have any difficulty getting these funds. Anyway, Smith would share the proceeds of the crime with the inmates, whose personal information she used to file the fraudulent claims, keeping a portion of the proceeds for herself. Of course, the applications contained several false statements, such as false physical address rather than the correctional facility, a false last employer, and a false certification that the inmates were ready, willing, and able to work in the event employment became available. Next case that I wanted to highlight, Eric a hike poor out of Columbus, Ohio, who admitted stealing COVID relief funds to buy boats while, like the other guy we talked about, already awaiting trial for a multi-million dollar alleged crime. This one was an internet romance scam. So going to the Department of Justice news release about this, it says, Eric Ahikpour, 50 years old of Columbus, Ohio, pleaded guilty in federal court for conspiring to launder the proceeds of online romance scams for roughly two years, he also admitted to fraudulently misapplying CARES Act loan funds 
to buy himself boats while out on release from his initial charges. Hey, this is me talking, not the news release. Why not have a party while you are out on release on your initial charges? Back to the news release. According to court documents, individuals committing fraud created several profiles on online dating sites. They then contacted men and women throughout the United States and elsewhere with whom they cultivated a sense of affection and often romance. After establishing relationships, perpetrators of the romance scams requested money, typically for investment or need-based reasons, and provided victims with account information and directions of where the money should be sent. In part, these accounts were in the names of Ahakpur and his co-defendants, in the names of the defendant's family members, and in the names of the defendant's companies. The funds were not used for the purpose claimed by the perpetrators of the romance scams. Ahakpur is not accused of committing romance fraud himself. Instead, by pleading guilty, he admits that he helped the perpetrators of the romance fraud move the proceeds from the United States to Ghana. When he was on release in the romance scam case, in a separate and unrelated scheme, Ahaipur obtained a coronavirus relief loan for $150,000 and fraudulently misapplied the loan proceeds. In June 2020, Ahaipur submitted an application for an economic injury disaster loan on behalf of a business he owned. One day after receiving the relief funds, Ahaipur bought a 2017 Sun Tracker Fishing Barge 22 DKX boat for $32,000, motor, and boat trailer. Shortly thereafter, he also purchased a 1995 Sea Ray Sundancer boat. He continued to fraudulently misapply the proceeds after his release from his money laundering charges. Once again, audacity. Takes a lot of work, you would think, for these criminals to figure out how to get the money and how it works. But they work pretty hard on that in some cases. Next case out of California Sheila Dunlap allegedly conspired with her son, who was in prison. These people seem to be working with a lot of people who are already crooks. To get the ID information of more than 9,000 people to illegally claim payments for almost $145,000. Here's an interesting one. A man named Andrew Tesna, a senior NASA executive and a Columbia native, was sent to prison after spending nearly $300,000 in COVID relief money, on a $6,000 French bulldog, a $50,000 swimming pool loan, and six figures worth of personal debt he paid off, all while Tesla earned more than $180,000 a year helping oversee finances at NASA. Quoting from the Department of Justice news release on this case, it says, quote, while serving in a high-ranking position at NASA, this defendant used the identities of others to carry out a brazen scheme in which he exploited taxpayer-funded programs during the global pandemic for his own personal benefits. According to court documents, Andrew Tesna, 36, of Leesburg, Virginia, fraudulently submitted three loan applications to two financial institutions, totaling $272,000 plus under the Paycheck Protection Program. He also submitted two Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program applications to the Small Business Administration, that totaled 69500 And he applied for COVID-related unemployment benefits, totaling $15,950 from Virginia, ostensibly for his mother-in-law who was retired and did not qualify for the benefits. In support of the fraudulent loan applications, Tesna submitted fabricated IRS returns 
and fraudulently claimed payroll expenses that did not exist. Tesna successfully obtained over $285,000 from the PPP loans and unemployment benefits. The bulk of the money came from loans applied for in his and his mother-in-law's names for businesses that did not exist. He was sentenced to 18 months in prison and three years of supervised release plus restitution and forfeiture of the funds. Believe it or not, these cases are still just small stuff compared to what's coming up right after a short break. Do you have something to say and want to make your own podcast? Let me tell you how to do that for free with Anchor. Anchor has creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. You can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's all you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. We're back and we're going over some of the cases of COVID-19 relief fund fraud. There are many cases and prosecutors and watchdogs know they only scratch the surface. But the next case I was going to highlight is Dana McIntyre of Vermont, Massachusetts. He's accused of falsely claiming he employed almost 50 people at his pizza shop. As a result, he got more than a half million dollars in tax money, sold the restaurant, and prosecutors say went on a spending spree with the money that included cars, a 2007 GMC Sierra, and 1950 Hudson, and an alpaca farm. Next case, five Venezuelans in Florida allegedly used fake IDs to steal about $800,000 in COVID-19 relief checks. According to reports, 34-year-old Jesus Felipe Linares Andrade pleaded not guilty to charges of identity theft and conspiring to steal government money, but prosecutors say he worked with up to four other co-conspirators, they were all originally from Venezuela, and they stole, say prosecutors, hundreds of U.S. Treasury checks from Americans living in South Florida and Mexico. The group allegedly used fake IDs, say the reports, matching American taxpayers to cash their checks. The ring was uncovered through an FBI sting operation, according to the FBI. An undercover informant for the FBI supposedly met with one of the co-conspirators, in January at a Florida mall. Sticking with the Florida theme here, there is a Florida couple convicted in a $1.1 million fraud scheme. They got taxpayer money for their farms, two businesses, and 62 employees, none of which existed. One giveaway should have been that the land they claimed to be farming was in the yard of two small urban Miami homes. Again, there wasn't even the most basic due diligence done in some cases to check out the stories of the people applying for the money. It was just given to them. Quoting from the news release, Latoya Stanley, 38, and Johnny Phyllis, 33, both of Miami, were sentenced to prison after pleading guilty to one count of conspiracy to commit wire fraud. As set forth in their court documents, in Stanley, the woman's PPP application, she claimed to employ 18 individuals from her company, Dream Girl Beauty Supply. Phyllis, meanwhile, stated that he employed 29 individuals at his company, Elegance Auto Boutique. In actuality, Stanley and Phyllis did not employ anyone at their respective companies. According to court documents, in her loan application, Stanley claimed to generate 
over $800,000 in income, and to employ five individuals from a farm based in the yard of her Miami home. In his application, Phyllis claimed to generate $400,000 in income to employ 10 individuals from a farm located in the yard of a small residential home. But in reality, Stanley and Phyllis employed no one and the farms did not exist. Ultimately, both of them received over $1 million in funds before their schemes were uncovered. Next, back out to California, where a man named Leibniz Tran is charged with stealing $3.6 million in taxpayer funds, using some of it to buy cryptocurrency and a $100,000 Tesla car. According to the news release from the Department of Justice, Tran, age 40 of San Jose, submitted at least 27 PPP loan applications and at least seven loan applications from the other program, EIDL, on behalf of multiple persons and business entities using false and fictitious information and documents, including falsified employee information, fictitious or grossly exaggerated payroll figures, and fake tax documents. The indictment alleges that Trans sought in excess of $8 million in funds, obtained over $3.6 million in illicit loan proceeds, and ultimately netted approximately $2 million from the scheme. The indictment further alleges that Tran and others used these illicit loan proceeds to make purchases at restaurants and retail stores, make deposits into personal investment accounts, buy cryptocurrency, and in one instance purchase a $100,000 Tesla from a luxury car dealership. A man named Michael Lane in Arizona admitted submitting 70 fraudulent loan applications in a $4 million scheme. In New Jersey, Azhar Sawar Rana pleaded guilty to more than $5 million in fraud, buying stocks, paying luxury car expenses, and sending hundreds of thousands of dollars to his home country in Pakistan. Reading from the news release that the Department of Justice put out, 30-year-old Azhar Sawar Rana of New Jersey pleaded guilty to one count of bank fraud and one count of money laundering. Honestly, that doesn't sound like much for stealing millions of dollars the way that He did, but that's just me. According to documents and statements made in court, Rana submitted a fraudulent PPP loan application to a lender on behalf of a corporate entity, which was called Azhar Sarwar Rana LLC, that purportedly invested in real estate. The application falsified payroll and tax information and included internally inconsistent listings of the number of company employees. New Jersey Department of Labor records show that Azhar Sarwar Rana actually paid no wages in 2019, and the minimal wages it purportedly paid in 2020 were mostly to individuals whose submitted Social Security numbers did not correspond to their submitted names. Based on the alleged misrepresentations, the lender approved Rana's PPP loan applications and provided him with approximately $5.6 million in federal COVID-19 emergency relief funds meant for distressed small businesses. Rana used the fraudulently obtained loan proceeds to pay for numerous personal expenses, including to invest millions in the stock market, make a payment to a luxury car dealership, and send hundreds of thousands of dollars to accounts in Pakistan. Okay, that was $5 million. We're building our way up. Next in Texas, engineer Shashank Rai admitted to a $13 million scheme claiming 250 employees when he had none. 
Again, it seems to me that some of these things would have been pretty easy to check out on the front end. These people applying for money and just getting it with virtually no verification of their documentation. According to the news release from the U.S. Attorney's Office Department of Justice, a Beaumont engineer was sentenced for his participation in a scheme to file two fraudulent loan applications seeking more than $13 million in forgivable paycheck protection loan guaranteed by the Small Business Administration. Shawshank Rye, age 31, pleaded guilty to making false statements to a bank and was sentenced to 24 months in federal prison. Rye admitted that he sought millions of dollars by claiming to have 250 employees earning wages when, in fact, no employees worked for his purported business. In the application submitted to the first lender, Rye sought $10 million by fraudulently claiming to have 250 employees with an average monthly payroll of $4 million. In a second application, he sought $3 million in loans by fraudulently claiming to have 250 employees with an average monthly payroll of $1.2 million. Next, a Chinese national named Muj Ma in New York pleaded guilty in a $20 million COVID relief money fraudulent scheme. According to the Department of Justice press release in that case, Ma falsely represented to the Small Business Administration and at least five financial institutions that his companies had hundreds of employees and paid millions of dollars in wages when, in fact, Ma appears to have been the only employee in his companies. Again, from the press release from at least March 2020 to May 15, 2020, Ma applied to the Small Business Administration and at least five banks for a total of over $20 million in government-guaranteed loans for his companies. Ma represented, among other things, that he was the sole owner and executive director of the Ma Companies and that the Ma Companies were located on the sixth floor of his luxury condominium building in New York and that he and a related company had hundreds of employees and paid millions of dollars in wages on a monthly basis. In fact, however, Ma appears to be the only employee since at least or about 2019 and does not appear to have any employees. In order to support the false representations made by Ma in the loan application, Ma submitted fraudulent and doctored bank records, tax records, insurance records, payroll records, and or audited financial statements to five different banks and also provided links to the Ma Company's websites, which describe them as purportedly global companies. In the course of these loan applications, Ma also misrepresented that he was a United States citizen when, in fact, he is a Chinese national with lawful permanent resident status in the U.S. Ma also used the name and identity of another person in connection with the submission of a fraudulent loan application and supporting documentation to at least one financial institution. Boy, that had to be a lot of work to get all of that fake documentation together. But I guess if you can get millions and millions of dollars in return, it's worth it. Then the last case we're going to talk about in this podcast is Hassan Hakim Brown of Fort Lauderdale, back to Florida, who admitted to working with co-conspirators to steal $24 million in COVID-19 relief funds. According to the news release from Department of Justice, 45-year-old Hassan Hakim Brown pleaded guilty to working with co-conspirators by using synthetic identities and shell companies they had created years earlier to commit other bank fraud. Criminals manufacture synthetic identities by using the personal and financial information of real people, such as stolen social security numbers, with fraudulent made-up information such as fake names and dates of birth. 
They used the new synthetic identities to open fraudulent bank and credit card accounts to commit other fraud. I hadn't heard that term before, synthetic identities. Years before the pandemic, says the news release, Brown and his co-conspirators used complex computer data storage and virtualization machines to manufacture synthetic identities, automatically open bank accounts and shell companies, and monitor bank activity tied to the synthetic as well as stolen identities. You know, this kind of answers the question as to what some people do when they steal your personal data and information from companies like we hear about all the time. This must be some of what happens to some of that. Back to the press release in 2017, they used the synthetic and stolen identities and associated bank accounts and shell companies to steal money from a bank in Texas. Then came the COVID-19 pandemic. In March 2020, the CARES Act was enacted. Brown and his co-conspirators used their already established synthetic identities and associated shell companies to fraudulently apply for financial assistance under PPP. They applied for and received $24 million in relief. The money was paid to companies registered to Brown and his co-conspirators, as well as to companies registered to synthetic identities that Brown and his co-conspirators controlled. Brown pled guilty to one count of conspiring to commit bank fraud. He faces up to 30 years in federal prison. One count of conspiring to commit bank fraud after all of that. I'm sure they have good reason for the charges that they bring, but also charge the following defendants for their roles in the scheme. Kevin Curtin and Jean Renal Florador and Raul Mauricio Gonzalez. To date, law enforcement has seized approximately $11.5 million dollars in fraudulently obtained funds from members of the conspiracy, as well as Rolex, Bauman Mercier, Hubault, and Cartier watches. I probably mispronounced those French names. So sometimes it's cars, sometimes it's boats, and sometimes it's watches. Now, back in May, so months ago, there was something called a flash report put out by the Small Business Administration, IG, that said based on analysis, they identified at that time, again, this has been months, 70,835 loans with $4.6 billion in potentially fraudulent loans. $4.6 billion, but it gets worse. Then, as of February 28th, much earlier this year, again, months ago, they identified more than $79 billion in potentially fraudulent emergency grants through this EIDL program, Economic Injury Disaster Loans, $79 billion in potentially fraudulent emergency grants. That's just what they know about. I hope you'll tune into Full Measure this Sunday, October 31st, to hear more on this story and to hear from the Inspector General who has this big job to do, Mike Ware of the Small Business Administration, And if you're very interested in this topic, you might want to listen to my other podcast, the Cheryl Ackeson podcast, which has an extended interview with Mike Ware. How can you watch Full Measure? Well, go to CherylAckeson.com, click the Full Measure tab at the top of the page, and you can see a listing of where we are on TV, mostly on Sundays, but sometimes Saturday night, sometimes Monday morning, sometimes we replay. You can have that whole list by city and state. And if you don't happen to have a Full Measure TV station in your area, you can always watch online at fullmeasure.news. You can watch live at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time on Sundays. And replays most any time after noon, we post the program. 
we've had some problems with our systems and our website. So if it's not posted this week or if the live doesn't work, that's why. But hopefully we'll get that up and running soon. And a great way to watch is to download our free app called STIRR, S-T-I-R-R. You can watch Full Measure live or on demand anytime. And there's a bunch of other cool free programming on there, entertainment, movies, and even local news. Americans are rightly alarmed by the increasingly tight grip on the news and information by special interests, corporate interests, and big tech. In my new book, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism, I tell the important inside story of how we got here and the Orwellian world where we will find ourselves if the course isn't altered. Pick up a copy of Slanted today. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Check out my other podcast, the Cheryl Ackeson Podcast, wherever you like to listen. Leave a great review if you like the podcast and share it with your friends. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.